wanna be in the know About how we put together our little show If you'd like to hear the puppeteers Play the characters that you cheer So join us as we go, go, go Below the frame On today's episode of Below the Frame We're talking with Sesame Street Muppet performer Martin P. Robinson Tally Monster, Slimy the Worm, Snuffy we're going to talk about all those characters, plus we are once again learning a bit more about our old friend, Jerry Nelson. So what do you know? It's time to go Below the Frame. Go, go, go Below the Frame. Welcome to Below the Frame. Here is where we gather every week and talk with someone in the Muppet universe. My name is Matt Vogel. I am your host on this here podcast. And uh, being the host, it's my job to keep things moving, and I have got a good one for you today. So uh, I'm ready to jump in. How about you? You ready for today's show? Are you? Great. Then let's go below the frame. Joining me on Below the Frame today is someone with nearly 45 years under his belt as a professional puppeteer. He is probably best known as Telly Monster and Big Bird's best friend Snuffy from Sesame Street, but he has played literally hundreds, if not thousands, of roles <laughs> over the years on Sesame, including Slimy the Worm, Shelly the Turtle, Buster the Horse, and Oscar's pet elephant Fluffy, to name but a few. And he's also known for his work as the designer of the man-eating plant Audrey II in the original production of Little Shop of Horrors a character that he also designed and performed in the Broadway revival. And I was lucky enough to be part of that team. Uh, he is on staff at the National Puppetry Conference, where he teaches performers from all over the world. And it's uh, also something that he does for Sesame Workshop, where he trains puppeteers in international co-productions, uh, along with here uh, at our domestic production. He's a wonderful guy and a veteran Sesame Street Muppet performer. It's Martin P. Robinson. Hello, Marty. <laughs> Hello, Matthew. <laughs> How was there, that? There, wait, do I do I hear thunderous applause? Uh, yes, uh, in, in you the do. I will add uh, that in. Delayed, right. But... Yes, I'll add it in right okay, now. No, okay. Ah, there ah, it is. There. Thanks. How's that? Thank you. Lovely. Yeah, Marty, we've we've <laughs> known kind. each other. I was just figuring this out yesterday. We've known each other for almost twenty five years. Can you believe that? Jeez. <laughs> you know, I, one of the times I remember you most and first and i don't know i mean it's it's because you were massaging my ego like mad we were at uh, uh the cat club on 13th street remember that yes it was it was uh yes. it was uh everyone had cigars we are not yep. cigar smokers ladies mm -hmm. and gentlemen but we all had cigars <laughs> i don't even know why day. but we did yes <laughs> because it was the deal it was a cigar yep. bar and uh, and there was music playing in the background. It was some kind of party yep. for something. Yeah. And all I remember is that you were uh, very kind and uh, and you know talking about the telly yep. mostly. I, yes, and I remember it. I almost wrote <laughs> it down as a question to ask you, and then I couldn't remember the details of it. But I know that I came up to you and I said something like, "I just have to say, Marty, that I love telly. I love his passion." And his enthusiasm and his anxiety and all of the things and I, I because I do he's such a real three dimensional human character to me and I I totally remember that moment that was that was when I I said oh no, no. who is oh oh Matt Vogel 
Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> he really likes telly. There yeah. must be something nice about him. Yeah. But I also remember, <laughs> this is this was the memory that I was going to bring up about you. That, uh, this is maybe my first memory of you, I think. It was my very first time probably meeting you and, and, and probably working with anybody on Sesame Street. Uh, I, it was at a Thanksgiving Day parade. And uh, and uh, you're typically on the second floor in the Sesame Street float, uh-huh. right? And yeah. I was I was given Bert to perform, and I also was given the position of being in the window next to you or Telly. Oh, and oh as oh, we oh. are going down, I don't know if you remember this or not, but this is probably something that you Telly does quite it's, frequently. It's, it's fairly standard. Let me let me uh, let me guess. I was I was yeah a haranguing yep. the crowds like no tomorrow <laughs> and, and i yep. was extorting the puppeteers to great levels of personal sacrifice yes i remember you saying this man is not bert this is not the real bert he's a sham this man is a fake and I, just like I, going on yelling to people at the top of your lungs yeah yeah i've been known to Do you uh, remember that I, you know i i, I yeah, I do remember that. Well, yeah, I, 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 and I do that every year. I did it with 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 Tao. This is not Baby Bear. It's, yep, it's a twelve year old child <laughs> pretending to be Baby Bear. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I remember I, this. Uh, for better or worse, I you know I feel like there's enough distance so they can't actually hear what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't think they can. I've been known to say things like like storm the barricades <laughs> and down yeah. with the power elite as well. Yes, yes. It is a very – I mean, you can't. There's no way people can hear you. They are yelling, and sometimes you can pick out a voice that comes to you like, hi, big bird, or whatever. But it's very hard to hear over the, the crowds of people, I think. It's, mm-hmm. it's an amazing mm-hmm. – It's oh, man, it's a – it's it's a beautiful experience when you're not stuck inside a giant big bird. Uh, but you're always stuck inside a giant big bird. So uh, I kind of do it never. A, uh... No, I kind of do it every other year. I decided oh. that I, I, I I'd like to have some enjoyment out of it. So I'll be the count one year, and then then big bird the, the next uh, year. Uh, uh. That's yeah, how I'm, to, I've decided uh, I'm going to do it. Years ago, I, I, mean, I, never, I, I skipped a couple of years because I was trying to uh, trying to save my first marriage. <laughs> so yeah. Like, okay. You know, maybe if I'm home for Thanksgiving, this yeah. would be a good thing. <laughs> maybe that'll do it. Yeah, but you miss <laughs> it though. You miss it's a thing that you miss when yeah. you don't do it. Yeah. Ultimately, I uh, you know I you know I uh, I stuck with the uh, the Thanksgiving to Thanksgiving Day Parade uh, uh, yeah. even more. <laughs> Yeah. So I've got a bunch of questions for you. So we're just going to do it, okay? I'm putty in your hands. All right. So other than cold, what was it like growing up in Michigan? Michigan. I didn't I didn't grow up in Michigan. I grew up in Wisconsin. I was born in Michigan. I was born oh, outside of Detroit. Uh, something Okay, let me okay, I'm going to I'm going to start Muppet again. Wiki or something? Yes, no, it is. It's something that's up there. And it it even says Dearborn, Michigan. And I was like, "Well, okay." Was, which which is, you know, and I I have a memory of Dearborn, Michigan, running right riding down the sidewalk full tilt on my tricycle. That's pretty much all I remember. I left there when I was two and a half. Okay, so I'm going to ask the question again. Ready? Here I go. Okay, so this is the this is the real question. Yeah. Other than so you're gonna edit, edit, edit out that yeah, out. I'm gonna totally edit it out. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Other than cold, <laughs> <laughs> what was it like growing up in Wisconsin? <laughs> growing up it, 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 in Wisconsin, it's much colder than Michigan. 
Because in Michigan, you know, because ah. it's kind of a peninsula, you get the uh, you get the effect yeah. from the water from uh, no matter what direction the uh, wind is coming from. So a lot of it was overcast. I remember it being overcast for mm-hmm. six months of the year uh, and snow, snow, oh. snow, and you know thirty. I remember thirty below. Oh, it's thirty oh. below. Don't stay out too long. Uh, you know when you're. I remember my jaw freezing so i would i couldn't really talk anymore because <laughs> my jaw would be frozen uh, uh so uh, yeah the, what, what's the motto in wisconsin uh uh winter winter six months and mosquitoes the other six months Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's is that the state motto that's a that's well. The mosquito <laughs> is the state bird. I know that. <laughs> ah, fantastic! Uh, tell me about your family. Uh, uh, my family. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm uh, one of uh, one of three boys. Uh, my dad uh, was a, uh, a salesman, but kind of a an executive engineer salesman. He traveled a lot. Uh, worked with uh, hydraulics, hydraulic engineering. Uh, he, uh, so he was, he was gone a lot when I was a kid. I remember, uh, my dad kind of being that, you know, that scary guy that would show up once every two weeks and expect you to come jump in his <laughs> yeah. lap and, 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 you know, be, be all loving. You know, it's like, you know, <laughs> you know when are you going to go away again? Which was, you know, not the kindest thing for a, for a child to think of his father. He and I grew to be right, very, right. very dear friends and very, you know, good, good dad and son uh, uh, later in life. Yeah, but growing uh, up, when, it was just uh, it was uncomfortable. Growing up, it was it, uh, it was yeah. He was he was a little a little grumpy, a little scary. He, he had been kind mm. of former, almost career military before that, so he you know he liked things done he was an officer in the military so he liked things done a certain way i'll bet i didn't have to call him sir <laughs> oh, uh but it was implied sometimes and uh you know and my dad you know was on a like on a spiritual journey that he just i don't know if i, if I know anyone who has grown more than he did uh before he passed away he was just he just went from kind of a narrow-minded, you know, you know, a hard, uh, hard person to just uh, a being of light. Uh, he tried everything. Hmm. He was a very interesting guy. And I, you know, and I, and I'm like him in so many ways. And I, you know, I try to channel his, his good parts and do, uh, uh, deny his bad parts. In right. Myself, yeah. But I am undoubtedly his son, which, which was actually, I, I yeah. looked a lot like him. So, uh, considering that he and my mom weren't getting along so well when I was born, really, he really loved that I looked a lot like him. <laughs> uh, dad's, dad's like that. Uh, so yeah. he and I, he and I were much closer than, uh, than my two older brothers. My two older brothers harbored a lot of anger to him, oh. uh, always, uh, my, my, one surviving brother still still does. Really, you know, my father has passed away. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah. Un, unfinished stuff, just all kinds of 
you know, he, he didn't get a chance to work that stuff out that I did uh, when, you know, Hal, my dad, uh, mellowed yeah. when I was still around, still at home. And uh, so he and I met on uh, on a number of interesting interesting paths. Hmm. I actually got him interested in uh, in acting. Oh, really? And he be- yeah, and he became uh, uh, he became he started acting in you know in church plays <sighs> and then in community theater and then in semi professional and like dinner theater stuff. Wow, he was he he's done. Dozens and dozens music. Uh, he can't sing a note, and he has been in. <laughs> Probably thirty musicals. Uh, he, I went to. I used to go surprise him when he was in plays, and I went and surprised him in uh, on Golden Pond, where he played the uh, the Henry Fonda character. Oh. And I went backstage yeah. afterwards and surprised him. You know, he had a bad heart, so it was. <laughs> uh, and and I didn't have to lie to him. He was good. He was solid. Uh, and oh, so he wow. and I met on on the uh, on the acting level a lot. Uh, my brothers were, you know, older brothers, but, uh, my middle brother and I played together a lot. My older mm-hmm. brother was, uh, was sullen and angry and, uh, was, uh, later diagnosed with, uh, Asperger's, uh, oh. very, you know, so he was, uh, he was a tough nut. Uh, and yeah, you know, and he and I, of course, in later years became dear friends too. Oh. He has since passed away, uh, by yeah. his own hand. Uh, which uh, sucks hard. Uh, yeah, I miss him. It is. Uh, and my mom was wonderful, and still is. My mom's yeah. ninety-one years old. Wow. And I talk to her every other day, and she's she's doing well. Uh, she lives with my middle brother uh, down in Florida, and between the two of them, they mm-hmm. they do okay. At a, at a relaxed household, it was it was a house yeah. that uh, that our, our that my friends would come to, and you just see them relax. You know, you could they would go. Would sit on the couch. It was like, okay, a couch I can actually sit on, and you know, people, you know, <laughs> adults I can actually talk right, yeah. to. And uh, it was, it was a fun, relaxed household that way. I, I love that about our house, uh, specifically yeah. as opposed to going over to friends' houses and and you know, plastic on the furniture, and you didn't go into oh. most rooms. You went into the TV room. That was it. Uh, but there were rooms you didn't walk through yeah uh, and and was that so, was that because of your mother because of your mom and her yes. and her nature and how she was that it made yes. everything such a relaxed atmosphere absolutely and you know, we had you know she set up a she was into she started learning you know meditation and started doing yoga before it was mm. you know before it was uh popular at all yeah uh she set up a fountain in the corner she wanted to hear water and she <sighs> Uh, had you know Japanese influences and did uh, ikebana flower arranging and uh, called us to dinner with a big huge gong. Uh, she was uh, <laughs> you know, at one point, wow. <laughs> some point in my childhood. She said, "All right, I am I am tired of cooking what you guys want to eat. Uh, if I'm cooking, I'm going to cook what I want." <laughs> and she would all experiment right. with all this all this wild stuff. And you know, <laughs> if you wanted to eat, that's what you ate. Yeah. And and how did it go over? How was her cooking? Uh, it was it was good, you know. There was, but you know, uh, but you would have like sweet and sour pork oh. with with, and she'd say, "Oh, daylily buds." I hear daylily buds are good, so she'd go out in the back and pick <laughs> the daylily buds and put them in, and and we would just have explosive diarrhea, and 
<laughs> oh dear. <laughs> and uh, but she you know, was doing what she was, wanted to do. <laughs> she was doing what she wanted to do. She was on her own path, and at, and at that point, she uh, uh, she was yeah, she was doing things her own way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she and my dad split up. Oh, when I was I don't know maybe twelve or so. Uh, yeah. and you know, but my dad was sort of still around a lot. Yeah. But, uh, things, things got easier when they, when they, mm. when they kind of, when they pretty much split up. When they went their separate ways. So yes. as a kid growing up in a house like this, what, what were the things that you did? I, I was always, uh, building stuff. I had a, I had a desk and I would build tiny little things. I would build little robots out of cardboard <laughs> and paper. I still have all these things I, it, I would watch episodes uh, of Star Trek and build everything I see and sketch everything I saw. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I ever showed you I, when, uh, uh, the original sketches I did from when I, when I watched uh, 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 Little Shop of Horrors, which, which I saw oh, in the mid-60s. No. I was probably eight or nine when I oh saw that. And I did drawings of it from, you know, from watching it on the TV. When you were just a kid? Uh, yeah, wow. and I, uh, I would, I would, uh, I was crazy for monsters, and I subscribed to famous monsters of Filmland, the <laughs> Forrest J. Ackerman uh, publication. Uh, I would watch Nightmare Theater every Saturday, at one in the morning. Every Saturday, I would go to bed at nine, get up at at twelve forty-five, and sit in front of the uh, Nightmare Theater from one to. One to two thirty in the morning. And what kind of and what kind of movies were they showing on Nightmare Theater? Oh, Fiend Without a Face, uh, The Wasp Woman. Uh, <laughs> you know, of course, all the classics. Uh, but you know, but a lot of the crazy fringe stuff too. Yeah, Teenage Caveman uh, with with the with the the host Doctor Cadaverino. Oh, who uh, who was just doing what I've, I've done a little bit of uh, research on on. Uh, Dr. Cadaverino, uh, a guy again named Jack DeBlon, who was the local Milwaukee. Uh, he was he was like a, a personality. He, he did Albert the Alley Cat, which was a mm. puppet, a cat on on the on the local weather show. Yeah, which was one of my first contacts with with uh, hand style puppetry. Uh, so Ward Allen had uh, you know had his sidekick, which was uh, Albert the Alley Cat. Uh, who would always tell you what the humidity was, and uh, and that was the guy who was who was Doctor Cadaver, you know, as well. So he was uh, very very important to uh, to my childhood. Wow. Um, I uh, I had had really good friends. You know how you have those best friends back yeah. when you're ten, twelve years old. One of my best friends. I, I'm still best friends with my best friend in nursery school. Uh, Jimmy Scrimmer really? and I still uh, still hang out. Uh, he, he was uh, he was at my wedding. Wow. I was the best man at his wedding. Uh, he was here just a, a while ago. His his kids and grandkids came to Sesame uh, right towards the uh, end of the season. There, uh, uh, my friend uh, uh, Dave Benlin, I've known since fourth grade. Uh, he comes and visits and hangs out. Uh, he, he helped with. Uh, Huh. All Hallows Eve came and watched that just uh, for oh. a couple of days. So you still uh, held on to some friends that you had even yes. as a kid, which is amazing. Yeah. And in any of this, like, were you thinking uh, what you wanted to be when you were gro- when you grew up, or were you just being a kid? 
I knew that I wanted to do something with, with, uh, with monsters. I mean, that's, that's, that's what it, that's what it, uh, that's how it translated to me. I mean, as a, as a, as a ah. shy kid in, in Wisconsin, uh, uh, Halloween, Halloween was the, was the one day of the year when I could kind of step outside my, my normal shy little self and, uh, you know, be, be something else, you know, transform into, yeah. you know, like, kind of like I was talking about, you know, running around the neighborhood howling. I would do that at, at night, sometimes without a stitch of clothing on. That's uh, you know, just <laughs> just to kind of feel the you know the raw animal yeah. nature of of you know an animal running free, uh, yeah, because that was that was not easy for me in in my normal daily life. So I latched onto horror movies, uh, Halloween, and uh, and so I would I would practice. I would I would uh, get ready for Halloween for weeks ahead of time, then months ahead of time. <laughs> Uh, and then there was a magazine that was published, which which was a turning point in my life by uh, Dick Smith, the uh, kind of the father of American uh, uh, makeup techniques. Mm-hmm. God, you know, he won the Academy Award for Amadeus, but he did the uh, he was one of the first guys to combine uh, puppetry and special effects with makeup. He did the the stuff from uh, Exorcist. Turning head stuff and things like that. Uh, he put out a book uh, associated with uh, famous monsters of Filmland, which was uh, 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 do-it-yourself monster makeup. Oh, and and a friend of my brother's just said, you know, I saw this at the drugstore and and I thought you might like it. You know, just a toss-off like that. And this book totally changed my life. Yeah. Uh, I just devoured this thing and uh, and realized that I could have you know my through my own agency and my own vision i could i could turn myself into the monster that i wanted to which of course i mean you see where this is going Uh, with with puppetry now i just i can turn myself into animals vegetables minerals male female tiny big you know anything absolutely Uh, it started it started with uh with makeup special effects uh i i met dick smith who who wrote that book uh in, in later when he when he lived up in, uh, in Larchmont, spent, spent the afternoon with him. I was I was there with a, with another friend from from Japan who uh, who was uh, uh, working with him on, on something, and uh, you know, and I told him told him what a what a difference he had made in my life, and he said, "Oh, you know, oh, thanks." And I said, "No, <laughs> right? <laughs> you have no idea. Yeah. You know, I would not be doing what I do, or even the person that I may I am now, had it not been." For that magazine that you wrote and all those uh, that affected me so strongly at the key point in my life, you kind of stood back and, well, all right then, you know, you are welcome. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, it's so great that you got to speak to him and, and tell him yeah. from your heart how you felt. Yeah. How then did all of this monster makeup and this desire and this, this passion about makeup and monsters, how did that somehow click over into puppetry it was uh you know you don't know what your path is going to be when you when you're uh, when you're a kid i think i think you know the only the only thing that differed me from some of the other kids that i you know grew up with was i when i, I you know i kind of knew what my path was you don't know where, where the path is going right right but you know 
but you know how to make some 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 choices that really interest you and take you into the areas that you're most interested in. Right. So, you know, as opposed to choosing a lot of things or choosing nothing or allowing other people to choose for you, Mm -hmm. uh, all the other things that can happen if you don't make real proactive choices. So, you know, so I went from, you know, from Halloween to, to, uh, make up special effects to acting. Uh, I realized, Oh, uh, I can, I can, if I, if I'm acting a part in a play, uh, I can, uh, I, you know, I can, I can have all the goodies from Halloween, you know, and then, you know, maybe it's not a, maybe it doesn't have to be a monster as long as it's this right. other thing. And I've got lines and I've got, yeah. uh, and I've got, you know, all the outside influences that are, that are allowing me to, you know, be someone else and therefore, you know, kind of not be me and be free. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I started doing musicals, which oh. was one of the choices back yeah. then. Uh, what age were you when this ninth was grade. happening? Ninth grade, you were doing musicals. You were doing plays. Uh, my first musical was in ninth grade. Uh, I played, uh, God, was it ninth grade? No, it was eighth grade. It was eighth grade. I, I uh, played yeah. Fagin in Oliver, which was mm-hmm. way, way beyond. But uh, for some reason, I... You know, I, I, did, I took that first massive step, which was somehow I didn't give a damn. And somehow yeah. I was able to yeah, uh, just throw it out there and be massive and big and over the top and chew the, you know, it was my first, <laughs> my first experience of chewing the scenery and, and realizing, oh, this, you know, this works, works for me, works for everyone, works for the audience. Uh, and yeah. so I, you know, I did West Side Story, I did The Boyfriend, I did Little Abner, I did South Pacific, uh, all, you know, every musical that every <laughs> high school, uh, does, uh, yeah. and, you know, and things that we've you know, all old done. Chestnuts like <laughs> Arsenico Lace, uh, everyone does that as well. Uh, and it basically just got bit by the acting book. So instead of staying in the, going to a state school in Wisconsin, uh, I was, I was accepted at a, a number of, uh, number of places. And, uh, uh, I, uh, you know, again, one of, one of those little things like, like when my brother's friend through the monster makeup magazine said, you might like this. Yeah. My, uh, my acting teacher in high school, who was a good dear friend, um, put a little, a little ripped out piece of newspaper. Uh, I said, you know, put it on my desk, said, think about this. And it was, uh, I remember said, uh, do you qualify? And it was, uh, an ad for the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, which, you know, the guy was going to come to Chicago and, uh, and hold auditions. And this is what the audition needed to be. And here's where you made your, uh, your, uh, your call for a reservation. And I did. And I, uh, I auditioned, uh, and got in. He told me right then that uh, right then and there, I don't know, maybe he told everyone right then and there that they were in, but because uh, I, you know, had promised to pay tuition and uh, I got, went to, yeah. got into this acting school when I was uh, still a senior in high school. So, uh, wow. so I gladly left the, uh, the university system uh, in Wisconsin behind. So from acting, uh, went to New York, uh, studied acting, graduated from acting school. Uh, and then started auditioning for everything. And one of the things I auditioned for was a, uh, traveling marionette company. 
Niccolo Marionettes. And I was qualified because I had a driver's license. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and driving a car was, you know, around the country was part of it. Wow. So I learned how to work marionettes. You had never done that before, I'm guessing. No. And so you had no. to be trained how to do... Uh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. No, actually, I had. My, my dad, on one of his business trips, uh, brought back from Mexico a little one of those little Mexican oh, marionettes. Yes, I had that too. Yeah. Did everyone? Did anyone not have that? You either I had the know. guy with the pistols yep. or the guy with the guitar. Yeah, <laughs> I had the pistols. I did. Yeah, and it's yeah. very simple. And, and, There's uh, maybe only one, two, three, four, five, like five strings, maybe. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. So as a kid, and, you, you know, had that. Almost impossible to tangle up, but of course, yeah. it was always tangled. <laughs> yes, uh, right. I, I used, I used, I, I used that to torture the cat. <laughs> uh, that was that was my one of my my first uh, use of a puppet was to uh, chase the cat around. She would look at it yeah. like it was just it was just an abomination of nature that this little creature should be chasing. Her. Yeah, and so now here you are touring the country with a marionette troupe. Right. How long did you do that? Uh, the first. First tour was, oh, God, it was 10 weeks. And the second tour was like 21 weeks. Oh, my gosh. I know. It's, it's, I would think back, it's like, what was I thinking? You know, going out with two other people, but, but the sh- you know, in a van with a show in the back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, they, and you've the, you know, that's all booked for you. And you, you drive from yeah. Tuscaloosa, Alabama to, you know, 100 miles this direction and do a show. It was mostly in like libraries and uh, elementary schools. Mm-hmm. But but it was a live show. The, the music was, you know, you'd hit the cue for the music, but all the singing was live. All the dialogue was live. Oh. You know, you'd, uh, you know, the, all the all the puppetry was live. And how was the puppetry done? Were were you seen? It was it was classic wow. marionette style. I remember there was there was a time in this country when if you were doing puppetry, you were doing marionettes. There wasn't anything yeah. else. Uh, it mm-hmm. was you know Tony Sarg. It was Bill Baird. It was. Uh, it was the Tattermans. It was the Rose Marionettes. Um, you know, all those companies were uh, touring marionette companies, uh, doing mostly traditional shows, mostly fairy tales. And uh, you know, and the classic mm-hmm. marionette bridge was, you know, was you've got you got your 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 stage, and your puppeteers are up over the stage. We were we were a good eight to ten feet in the air. Uh, over the stage, uh, and you know, with with the stage was all all curtains. We had a sound system uh, to get our voices, you know, past the curtains. Lighting system. Um, the, it was a whole little miniature theater. A lot of places we went to. It was the first theater they had ever seen, which was really, really astounding back then. Uh, and and of course, we, we, we were, one of the shows was Jack and the Beanstalk, where you're playing with, uh, mm. you know. You're, Playing with scale, I mean everything yeah. was was scaled small. So Jack was so oh, you know <laughs> two and a half feet tall or so. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, and his cow was a you know scale to Jack, and you know, and all the sets and and everything was was this perfect little little miniature theater. And then the giant would come on, which was a human, one of the cast members, and the crowd would go insane. Oh. Because they had, you know, A, they had never seen anything like this before. B, it's a really good scale trick to have everything scaled down for the first 20 minutes of the show. And all of a sudden, the, uh, you know, human giant comes in. People would go, they, they would lose it. They would wet their seats. They would go hysterical. <laughs> uh, you, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was great fun. 
uh, and we would go on this, these long, long tours where you either learned how to work a marionette and, and, and engender a, you know, a love of puppetry, or you went stark raving mad. <laughs> so Which happened I, for you? Both. <laughs> totally both. Yeah, yeah. So I, I got a taste of puppetry back then, and then I was still, yeah. but still considered myself an actor. I was doing acting right. roles. And then I realized, you know, I'm a six-foot-two white guy from Wisconsin. You know, they're always going to cast me as that guy. Uh, I, I, I auditioned right. for... Uh, for part of Arlecchino in uh, one of my favorite old plays, uh, The Three Cuckolds, and uh, an old Commedia dell'arte play. And I was just dying to play this part. And I, and I killed the audition. Uh, you know, you move, you move really good and uh, you got everything you need, but you're so big. You know, you're such a big guy. We're thinking of Arlecchino as a little guy. It's like, I bend. You know, I can be little. <laughs> I said, right. Oh, you know, I'm too big. Uh, I'm too, you know, I'm, you know, it's always too something. Right. And, and at the end of the day, was not interested in playing myself. Mm -hmm. uh, that was the whole reason I got into monster makeup and, you know, special right. effects and acting and Halloween. So I could just leave uh, this dweeby little Robinson Martin behind. <laughs> uh, so that's when I realized, oh, my God, you know, puppetry has everything that I really wa ever wanted uh, uh, as right. far as... Uh, being able to step step away. So now that you knew what you wanted to do, how did you that, do it? <laughs> I, I uh, kind of the same I was talking about before. With you know, you you don't know what you're where you're going, but you know the path. Yeah. At that point, man, I had a I I knew the path, and the path was still acting, still performing, still all those all those goodies that I had come to New York for and gone to school for, and mm -hmm. you know, wasted my childhood on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but now, but now I, I really had a focus, which was, uh, which was let's, let's, let's try puppetry. So that's when I really went into a, uh, mm -hmm. like a, I think of it as my, my apprenticeship or my journeymanship. Uh, when I started working for every puppet company I could find, I, I really got bitten by the puppet puppetry mm. bug when I worked for, uh, Bill Baird in 1974. <laughs> Five, something like that, 75. And I realized that you know, and he, mm -hmm. he always had a hand puppetry and marionettes, of course, because which was his first love, but uh, and shadow puppetry and blacklight puppetry and costume characters and rod puppets. And wow. He, he, he always mixed his media and used whatever style of puppetry was best for whatever scene he was uh, telling in his story. So I got a mm. taste of all that stuff and, and realized also that puppets didn't have to be little scale representations of reality and that he, it's, right. he would sculpt these things just, you know, you sculpt characters to match their attitude. You know, if, if a person was a goon, one of the characters I auditioned with, big, huge jaw, Big arms with with massive fists that literally dragged on the ground. Tiny little bow legs. They were just beautiful works of art as well. And you know, crazy mm -hmm. things. I mean, go to his book. You know, things like Crutch Face, which is a face like a moon with eyes on it, and its arms are just like it walks on crutches. These strange <laughs> geometric things that were every bit as as much uh, art as they were. Uh, puppetry, but they were 
distill the essences of characters in a in a in such a extremely stylized stylized way that it just blew my mind when I uh-huh. realized that anything you know anything could be a puppet and uh, and that uh, you just had to you just had to f- have free reign free reign to your uh, to the way you thought about it. We're going to talk more with Martin P. Robinson in a bit, but. Now let's take a couple of minutes and learn about the late, great Muppet performer, Jerry Nelson. He was a friend of mine. He was a mentor of mine, of so many of the Muppet performers, actually. And, you know, I'm not alone in this, but I think that Jerry was one of those unsung heroes of the Muppets. And Jerry had a whole life outside of Sesame Street and the Muppets. And he wrote about those things. And uh, after Jerry died in 2012, his wife, Jan, gave me a, a digital folder of, of the stories that Jerry had written about his life. And some were about Sesame Street, of course, and the Muppets, but others were just about, about things that he'd experienced along his, his lifetime journey. And uh, Jan said to me, maybe you'll figure out something to do with these. And so I have asked some of the people who knew Jerry if they would share a memory and read a story that Jerry wrote. For today's Jerry story, we have Paul Rudolph. Now, Paul is not a Muppet performer, but he did work closely with Jerry on Sesame Street, where Paul is the vocal music director, Emmy award-winning music editor, composer, and music director for live performances. So here's Paul Rudolph. My work with Jerry and the Muppet cast members began in 1996 on Muppets Tonight, where I met my future bride, Leslie Carrara. I did work with Jerry back then, but to be honest, I have few specific stories about him during those days, as I was incredibly busy running around the set. However, the first song I wrote for Muppets Tonight was a bit for one of Jerry's characters, Ernest Pleth, hosting his Wall Street Wonderings segment, wherein Leslie's character, Spamela Hamderson, interrupts. You'll have to watch the show to understand why. But for me, watching the Muppet performers dance and groove to my little go-go tune was simply amazing. I was very fortunate to have worked with Jerry on his last few seasons of Sesame Street, and in 2009, I music-directed original songs for his CD, Truro Daydreams. I had the great pleasure of meeting he and Jan at his house to go over my mixes of the songs for the CD, and we also recorded his overdub vocals on songs like Groovin' on Noah's Ark. We were literally sitting at his dining room table recording all the animals for that song, and it was hilarious. And during our sessions there, we'd take breaks and he'd tell stories about he and Jim Henson, including one about them driving from Vegas to L.A. after performing The Boss Men and other Muppets for the Nancy Sinatra show. I was just pinching myself. My last recording session with him was the Count singing the song Eight is Great for Sesame Street. While we were setting up for the session, I was helping Jerry position his wheelchair and oxygen appliances in my small vocal booth. He was struggling a bit to get situated, so I assured him we had plenty of time, to which he joked, huh, I beg to differ. Once we settled in, his unmistakable voice kicked in and he was at home. What really amazed and inspired me about Jerry was his innate musical talent and skill with singing, playing, and writing songs. During the recording sessions for his CD, he played guitar and sang on every song. And believe me, it's not easy to simply sing and play, especially with the added pressure of a recording session, a full band accompanying him, and his health issues at the time. But musicianship just flowed from him, and his songs were truly a part of him. He's greatly missed. And now, from Jerry's words. 1970 to 1972, Sesame Street. I started working on the street in the fall of 1970. 
I was not a stranger to television studios. I had been a page at WRC, the NBC affiliate in Washington, D.C., and prior to that, I had appeared in a TV version of a scene from Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream, as well as singing on a talent show, and after I moved to New York, I appeared in a commercial for Dial Soap and worked on running shows like The Defenders, Naked City, and various off-off Broadway productions that died deaths too terrible to mention. As a puppeteer, I had worked on a Perry Como Christmas special with the Bill Baird troupe, so I was not overwhelmed at all by the studio. What I was overwhelmed by were the people. It was like coming into a family gathering. Everyone was so friendly and helpful. I already knew John Stone from when I had worked with Jim in 1965. We had all done a pilot for ABC called Hey Cinderella. My first season was mostly doing right-hand work with Cookie or Ernie or playing anything Muppets for singing bits and doing background characters. I think my first real character was Herbert Birdsfoot, who was a teacher and comic foil for Jim and Frank's leads, Cookie, Ernie, etc. He was a pedantic sort who would lay out the facts until Grover, Cookie, Ernie, or some other character would show up and confuse him until he gave up. A Jiminy Cricket type, and I had fun doing the character. My second year, I was given Sam, super automated machine, a robot who would start to answer some question and eventually get stuck and repeat until someone gave him a thump and he would continue until he went haywire. I think I was given a monster of my own who turned out to be Harry Monster that same year. That may have also been the year Snuffy was born, but my memory is a little hazy about the timing of that. I was the front half and Richard Hunt was the back. Thank you, Paul. You know, music was such an important part in Jerry's life. So coming up a little bit later on the podcast, we're going to listen to a demo of a song that Jerry actually went on and recorded for his album. Uh, But now, let's get back to our interview with Martin P. Robinson. We were talking with Marty before about when he worked for the famous puppeteer, Bill Baird. How long did you work for Bill Baird? Uh, I worked, uh, I did his last last big show he was uh he was in his God, his, his 80s at that time probably uh his last big show was uh what's upon a dragon down at uh bush gardens in williamsburg virginia hmm. uh he took over the the contract from sid and marty croft at the reynolds aluminum theater i, <laughs> I never got in on his uh on his show uh at barrow street where he had his whole theater and his whole workshop and he lived there that was you know that uh, the, the Barrow Street Theater was uh, was a, a mecca for many years for uh, for puppetry in America. Yeah, so yeah, so I did that show. Uh, oh, and that was that was uh, seven working for Bill for seven months, ten shows a day, uh, six. I was it five, six days a week. Oh uh, the show was ha- the, the show was a half an hour show, so it was half an hour on, half hour off, ten shows a day. Uh, you know, it's it, which is one of those things when when people complain. Oh, you know, I'm so tired. I did three shows. They that tough. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we did back in the day. We did ten shows. That's right. Half an hour off and half an hour on. And that was it. Ten times. That was it. And it was you know, and I made a hundred twenty five bucks a week, and I liked it just fine. Yeah. And I saved all kinds of money that way. I met my first girlfriend on the show who was. God, one of, one of the great loves of my life. So I was, you know, in love for the first time and had this incredible relationship and living out uh, and doing the show. Um, it was it was a great time. So what happened next? I did that show. Uh, I worked for Bill uh, in his shop 
for about a year after that. I was helping to curate his, uh, his collection, uh, help build stuff, repair stuff. Uh, Faz, Faz, Fazakas had worked yeah. for Bill before he worked for Muppets. And, uh, and so we had a lot of his, a lot of puppets that he had built. And so I was part of, part of my formative years was repairing Faz's puppets. So I would, oh, I would cool. get, he would say, you know, this, this, this doesn't work anymore. I see what you can do. And I, yeah, I don't know how it works. Yeah, Foz made it. So where'd Foz come from? <laughs> Foz, Foz came from heaven. Uh, and, uh, and so I would, I would repair Foz's stuff and learn how they worked. I learned so much from Foz, uh, before I ever, I never worked side by side with him. I met him a number of mm-hmm. times, but, uh, and I just adored him. But uh, I had never worked with them except except by proxy. Yeah. Was there any awareness? I mean, I'm sure there was of Jim Henson, of the Muppets, of Sesame Street, any of that world. Yeah, yeah. Now, I used to I used to watch. I watched the first episode of Sesame Street when I was 15 years old. My mom was a teacher by that point, teaching in the inner city. Uh, like I say, she was she was uh, way ahead of her time, and, and we lived way out in the burbs. <laughs> She was teaching in the inner city and heard about this new show. Uh, and we watched that, those first episodes together. Uh, I remember, I remember them. I, I, I remember Snuffy's first episode. I saw that live. Wow. Uh, when Bird walks by and stops and goes back and did I just see what I did? You know, and has, he strikes up a conversation. I never thought at the time, oh, this is what I wanted to do. Uh, right. I'm not one of those guys. Mm-hmm. Who uh, you know zoomed right in on it and said, "Okay, that's that's for me." Right. Uh, it was interesting, and I loved them up at time. But you know, I lo- used to love them on the Ed Sullivan Show, yeah, know, which which I would watch. You know, I'm not talking reruns; I'm talking Ed Sullivan Show. Uh, they would they they'd do things on did they think do things on the Tonight Show. You know, and, and a lot of variety shows. I mean, you know, there were things exploding. And <laughs> right. You remember the old stuff? Yeah. Everything. Every every bit ended up with something eating something else. <laughs> yeah, this is great stuff to a to a kid to a you know to a teenager. Yeah. So you're aware of all of this. Yeah, you're aware of Jim Henson. You're aware of the Muppets. You're aware of Sesame Street. But you were kind of doing what you wanted to do here, a more theatrical uh, style of puppetry, a vast array of different styles of puppetry: hand puppets, marionettes, rod puppets, shadow puppets, all of this different different styles of puppetry. And that was kind of where you were heading. Yeah, uh, very much, very much so. You know, I don't even remember, you know, I was I was having a, such a good time working for the other companies. Uh, you know, you'd hear about Muppets, but it was kind of one of those unattainable, I don't, I don't remember even jonesing about it much. Uh, then there was a, huh. uh, an audition. I auditioned for uh, Richard Hunt and and uh, and Jane for, but that was for the workshop. Uh, there was a thing in 1980 uh, where uh, where the Muppets were going to the Unama Festival in mm-hmm. uh, in Washington, and were casting. They're doing a big, huge stage show, and I auditioned for that, and I didn't get in. Uh, they 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 wanted dancers. It was a dancing show. Uh, and I remember Brian, Brian Meal was, uh, was one of the people who were you know, helping with the auditions. And I, you know, did my best to, to dance and do a time step and, uh, you know, and grand jeté and 
all these things that I could fake from from yeah. touching on that in school. But uh, you know, was was not not a trained dancer. So so I was mm-hmm. at that festival uh, in 1980. But I was working for Bill Baird then, oh. uh, helping out with his show. Uh, but when when they had the the big call. Uh, for the for the big uh, uh, for the workshop that they did at the Ansonia, which would have been in 1980, I'm guessing, mm-hmm. might have been early 81, but uh, uh, it was where they they I I I had sent in my picture and resume uh, probably a year maybe a year and a half before. It's back when you know when you had a resume it was on paper, <laughs> and right? It was sta- sta- stapled yep. to your eight by ten black yep. and white uh, headshot. You had to take it uh, to the mail, drop it in a box. Uh, yeah, yeah, and you know, and and uh, and have a, a phone service. Yep. That you know, which was some place <laughs> with phones where pe- other people would answer your calls, and uh, and then maybe yeah. give you the message or not. Uh, yeah. So I, I got called in on that on that uh, big, you know, kind of the way the way we do when we have know of people that are out there and we and we uh, put out the calls. You know, okay. Right. Let's uh, let's 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 see what we got here. So that was a big right. big audition. I don't I don't know how many people. You know, I, I for some reason uh, the number three hundred people wow. were called into this this. But I but that sounds unreasonably large. It is huge. It was it was, it was a number of rooms at the Ensonia where you know where everyone was working in different rooms and kind of rotate from room to room. Work with uh, Richard Hunt and you'd work with. Kermit Love, then you work with Jane uh, on different stuff, but I, it's hard to imagine that there were 300. It was probably more like, I don't know, 100, 150. Uh, Whittling down then, then, that amount of people, I mean, how long was that process? Was this just a one week? Five days. Five days, and they're whittling it down to what number do you think? One. One! <laughs> one! Ah, ah, ah. Yeah, <laughs> some thunder in there. It was it. Well, it was uh, every every at the end of every day, you would get a call uh, whether to come the next day or not. Um, oh. And so, I I kept getting a call, which was great, and I kept going back and kept having fun. And then there were twenty five of us, uh, and I remember mm-hmm. when there was twenty five, I got paired up with this. Great girl, this great girl who was fun and funny, and we started riffing on each other and having so much fun. We were in this scene together, and that's when Jim Henson showed up, and this girl was Pam Arciero. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and so oh. we did this fun scene about bears breaking into a safe uh, and getting caught in the safe. Uh, Wow. Uh, and, uh, and Jim was there by that time and was, mm. was watching the, you know, the, the whittled down crews and then giving us notes. Do you remember meeting and speaking with him one-on-one at any point during this time? No. Cause he was no, I don't. kind of on the uh, other side not, of the table. Well, I remember, I remember him. One of the first things I remember uh, is him critiquing us after this, this, this bear, this bear mm-hmm. bit that we did. Uh, and him being, you know, clear and kind. And he obviously, we were obviously very green and doing all kinds of, uh, you know, rookie mistakes, mm-hmm. but we showed promise. I mean, the same way that yeah. when we see people, you know, rookies who are 
going for it or, or, yes. or have some success in one way, but, you know, but obviously need so much work in other ways. Right. You know, he, you know, God knows he had the eye yes. uh, for, for seeing that stuff. So, so, uh, so yeah. So, and, you know, and I had Pam to work with. Yeah. So, so she and I, you know, were cooking and it was obvious, uh, you know, and that's when, you know, Pam and I, kind of became became started becoming friends then uh Hmm. and then the next the next call back after that i don't know if that was a day or two that we worked on scenes together with him but the the last call back there were just five of us uh and at that point it was just guys in the six foot range with deepish voices Mm -hmm. and they finally said at that point that they were actually uh, recasting the the part of Snuffleupagus. I see. So at that point, it was uh, me. Uh, Peter Baird was there. Uh, Bill's Bill's son, hmm. um, and uh, a couple, uh, you know, and three other guys. Uh, Did they say why they were recasting Snuffy? Did yes. they say what the deal was? Yeah. Uh, what they said was that, uh, what, what I recall is that Jerry Nelson had, had hurt his back, was doing it from the booth, uh, that they wanted to kind of reintegrate the character, have the voice come, you know, from it, from inside it again. Uh, uh, I think the unspoken part, which I figured out probably years later was that they, they had to pay three people to do it right uh, in the old system and they would rather pay two um, yeah whether they were thinking altruistically and and wanted to you know as we say deepen our bench and bring new people in I don't know I would yeah. like to think that they you know, I, mean, I mean part of this that that whole audition process at the Ansonia was was uh, to see who was out there and to yeah it must have been because if there were male female performers there and you met Pam there yeah. i mean they were clearly yeah. tr- trying to you know put out the you know cast the net see who yeah. was there and yeah. find out what potential performers they they had and then they kind of it came down to oh well let's now hone let's put our focus on what it really is and that's mm-hmm. snuffy yeah. and so did you get it uh, <laughs> i did but nobody told me what <laughs> <laughs> You've heard that story, haven't you? <laughs> uh, uh, it was uh, I, I did I did the uh, uh, audition one on one. You know you know Rita Rita Marie Perugi, she's a big big producer there now, right? Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, she and I started the ex- like the exact same time. She was okay. just she was a PA back then, <laughs> and she she met me. I think it was at some rehearsal hall, might have been in the Ansonia with Sweetums. So I actually got in Sweetums uh-huh. and did Snuffy from inside Sweetums because it has oh, kind I of the see. same that yeah. same mouth. Yeah. So I did that, and I got through that, and then I went down to Kermit Love's shop and got into Snuffleupagus for the first time. Uh, my friend Bob Marty, who's uh, who's a dear dear friend of mine now, mm-hmm. who's a, a, an old dad like me, uh, lives. A, just like two miles away with his uh, two young sons. Uh, yeah. he's, a, he's a dear dear friend of mine now, but I met him 40 years ago during that uh, that first, oh. first time in Snuffy. 
so I got in Snuffy, ran around in them, adjusted, you know, saw that it was, you know, what it was, what, uh, you know, and how I interfaced with it. Uh, and then I didn't hear from, and I didn't hear Jack squat. Uh, and I thought, all right, that's it. Um, and it was months later when I got a, uh, I got a uh, schedule in the, in the mail. Oh, uh, for, for, Ses- for Sesame Street. That was how you knew. That's, and I, and I called up the office. I called up, uh, what was her name? Marianne Horstmeyer. Marianne Horstmeyer, who was working. Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, you don't know me, but I got this thing in the mail. Uh, and she said, oh yeah, no, no, we, uh, we hired you months ago. Did, did anybody call you? Did anybody tell you? <laughs> uh, no. no. <laughs> oh no, no, you got the job. You, we, we want you to do Snuffy. And I said, that's a good thing. I, I could I could use that information and let me check my schedule. I, I, I my fall is still open. Oh my god! <laughs> this gosh. is the fall of uh, fall of eighty one, and uh, and I actually started I think two three weeks later uh, oh was gosh. when w- was my first first time, and I don't I don't I hadn't been in Snuffy. Uh, to my recollection, except that one time at Kermit Love Shop, uh, until I was there the first day, which was an entire day of Snuffy and Bird. Oh my uh, gosh. Singing, that was your first day? That was my first day. Uh, uh if, uh, singing if, uh, if I only had a dinosaur. If I only had a dinosaur, wouldn't it be neat? We could march him up to Loopers for a little bite to eat. Uh, I could probably sing the whole damn song. And this was the first time you met Carol. Yes. And the, uh, there's, uh, uh, there's an article that I wrote for the Puppetry Journal, mm-hmm. uh, which I would recommend. I, I sweat blood over this article and <sighs> lots and lots of tears. Uh, it was actually a way, it was a way for me to really finally think about Carol and think about that first day mm-hmm. and what he meant to me yeah. and uh, ultimately, you know, how I could remember that and hold it so fondly and so dearly and then be able to say goodbye to him. Uh, when, I, when, I was, when I was talking about Carol at the memorial service, I had actually just written the first draft of that article mm-hmm. for the Puppetry Journal. So I had, uh, so he was is very present and I had, you know, really dived into my memory of that day uh, when he was, when he's very much what I remember. You know, Jim wasn't there. Uh, and I remember Bryant, but only peripherally. And, uh, you know, I remember, I remember Carol and Carol just was there and present and, and, uh, non-judgmental and we had fun and I was I was obviously just as green and naive uh and just making every greenhorn mistake that I could but uh but for some reason you know you know snuffy snuffy snuff and bird uh saw that saw the day through uh yeah. and the Inadequacies of of Martin were uh, were subsumed by the the whole process. Mm. Yeah, so I remember I remember Carol that day. Hmm. Uh, God knows, uh, you know, you know, Kermit Love was was another story. I mean, at least at least at 
that point, you know, he wasn't actively uh, working against me, uh, or, or or I was too, or I was too uh, too naive and too focused hmm. to notice it. Uh, wow! And I remember, uh, I remember John Stone. <laughs> I just remember uh, who was who was an anchor, an anchor in the uh, and and so kind. And you know, none of them had you know, any business being kind to the new guy, except that if, you know, if, if I didn't collapse and, 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 and flop sweat and, and cry and go home, that they were yeah. likely to finish the day and get home sooner. <laughs> so <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I mean, you really were thrown into the deep end of the pool. I was. Ugh. What, 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 what you and I would never do to a puppeteer these days. No, uh, it was, it's it just... was, it was, uh, it's it, too destructive. It was unconscionable, and uh, oh my you know, gosh. and I'll and I'll and I'll always always be you know grateful for that kind of for that kind of mad confidence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think everybody is built that way. I don't think everybody could do what you had to do. It's very hard. I don't know. I think I think there's 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 hidden reserves in everyone and people, you know, there's potential that people just don't, you know, they just don't tap on mm-hmm. because it's, because they don't have to. Yeah. Cause it's easier not to, uh, it's, you know, it's easier to, to go a safer route and, you know, and, and, you know, and you and I take, take yeah. the puppeteers in the, in, in the safer route where we, you know, step by step and, you know, and, and give them, give them responsibility as, you know, as, as the, the, the steps, uh, um, you know, require and, uh, and, you know, as, you know, they, they, they take the, uh, they take the initiative that, uh, you know, again, kind of a step-by-step process. Mm-hmm. We would, we would never throw somebody into something like that. No. All right. So you're on Sesame street, you're playing snuffy big bird's best friend, but we have to talk about Telly. Like I said before, I love Telly. Uh, I had that fun experience with you at the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Uh, you, h- how did it happen that you um, took over the role of Telly from Brian Meal? I, I used to right hand for Brian. Mm-hmm. I right handed uh, Telly Monster for for four years. Uh, uh, Yes. So even though I was, I was brought in to do Snuffy, I, you know, I was still brand new and green. And so I did a lot of right handing, uh, and I right handed tell I, when, when Jim and Frank did the the business meeting films, uh, they, Mm -hmm. they brought me along. I was the assistant. It was just the three of us on these business meeting films. Uh, it was, uh, what Leo and Grump, wow. uh, uh, and you know, and me. So I was everyone's right hand and every other character. It was, it was how they, it was how they trained back then. Throw him into another thing that he's yeah. totally, Get totally him. not qualified for, <laughs> but, <laughs> but that was the, you know, and then, and then, and they would give me steps along the way. Uh, you know, John's, I was doing a bit with John Stone. He comes up and says, uh, cause I done, I said, Oh God, what are we going to do now? And he comes up and says, Oh, you can't say God. And so I never said God after that. And right. that was how I learned. And that's how you got it. Uh, yeah. 
I was doing Cookie Monster's right hand, and Frank grabbed me and said, you know, we like to be on top. So, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, You're and, learning you know, by I, doing. Learning by, you know, making all the mistakes on camera. Yeah. <laughs> That's how yeah. Yeah. you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. But, you know, but we were working with you know, Jim Frank and John Stone. <laughs> I know. It's, you it's know, a lot of pressure. This, this, it's the stakes are pretty, pretty, pretty high there. Yes. So, so I was going through my whole Muppet apprenticeship while I was, while I was doing snuff, mm. which was, which is kind of a nice way to do it. I've got a, I've got a, I've got a lead character, uh, and I'm working into all this other stuff. Yeah. So when Brian Neal left, which is, he's, 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 he's like the, one of the few that actually chose to leave. Right. He, uh, it was just wasn't for him. Brian Neal also lives uh, a couple of a couple of miles yeah. away now, and I, I see I see he and Cindy all the time. They're part of our part of our our circle here in Reading. Yeah, I love Brian. I love Brian. Neal. I love him. He is. I just yeah. He's he's like a hero of mine, and you know. And I will tell anyone who will sit sit long enough to listen that it, it took it yeah. took five yeah. professional puppeteers to take over his breadth of roles. Uh, when you got Sesame Street, <laughs> yeah, uh, it took you know me, Kevin Clash, yep. uh, uh, Fred Garbo, mm-hmm. Pam Marciero, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, you know, all, all these all these people that it took to to do all you know because his vocal range was so astounding and his acting was yeah. so great. Uh, so when he left, there were a bunch of roles open. And so I worked worked into telly. Uh, I remember they were so. But when we did the, the Follow That Bird movie, was the first time I ever did telly. And there was a mm-hmm. if, if if my telly voice hadn't worked out for that, uh, Brian was still on on board for redoing the voice. Uh, uh, that's oh. so. But it, but I was but. That's my voice. You know, they they kept my voice. I, I did a, a good mm-hmm. Brian Meal imitation back then, and that's when I started taking over. I start took over Slimy at that point, and Buster the Horse, all all Brian's mm-hmm. characters. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember if Irvine the Grouch was his. I used to do a lot of her back then. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was uh, so I had my my formative period, and then I. Uh, I took over those roles uh, from Brian and, uh, and, you know, and picked up some other ones as well along the way. Yeah. But uh, Telly, Telly started very much as, as Brian's version of the character. Mm-hmm. And then I, and then he, and then he evolved. Yeah. Uh, I, I like to think, I, th- I like to think upwards, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but only evolved upwards as, as far as a sense of his self and a sense of his, uh, uh, his personal agency and a, p- a sense of his, uh, uh, the choices that were available to him, uh, uh, emotionally and, uh, with the, his relationships to other characters. Hmm. And I would like to think that as that, as the character kind of grew and evolved from, from those early days when Telly was just a depressive, tool to be abused <laughs> by Oscar. Right. And, uh, you know, and it was very, uh, you know, very depressive and down. And, uh, he became, you know, 
more upbeat, but more more proactive in his psychosis. Mm -hmm. And all that's coming from you. That's just it's coming from Martin P. Robinson. And that's the thing about creating well, a character, isn't it? That you have to put yourself into it in some way and let it grow and evolve. Right. So so yeah. So I started throwing throwing my insanity into the part, my insecurity and and all all of all of my personal issues and personal problems mm -hmm. that we talked about earlier <laughs> or earlier in the in the yeah. broadcast uh i brought to bear and then i like to think that that the well i don't like to think i i know that the writers the writers got excited by that and yeah saw him as a very useful storytelling tool uh to yeah. to foil and foil other characters to you know uh, to you know, egg them on to to uh, to complicate the plot to to solve to you know to create problems that the that the kids might have at home yeah uh, and to solve for them you know to you know be a, a, a that that surrogate child uh, as opposed to the 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 one with fewer problems <laughs> so yeah so I wanted to represent the you know the, you know the kids with you know that are that are with some with some sometimes you know debilitating uh you know emotional problems mm -hmm. um, you know that that but that that are not insoluble uh that that, you know, that, can, that can be worked through uh and so uh, you know i would just i i got to say back back in the day telly would just got the best scripts uh, uh there was there was a time when john weidman only did one script a year, you know, and John Weidman is legendary in theater and television. And he only did one script a year yeah. and he, he always did a telly show, uh, you know, yeah. and, and his, and those telly shows were, 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 you know, sometimes the one that were, that were, you know, nominated for, uh, for the, for the Emmys. Yeah. Uh, it was just John Weidman would dig deep and do funny, heartfelt stuff. And, yeah. uh, and, and he, he wrote that stuff for telly, but he wrote it for me. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't feel bad putting those, uh, putting those, those thoughts into, uh, into words for, you know, on, on his behalf. One of the best things I like, I love about telly is when a kid comes up to, to him and say, it's okay, telly, it's not that bad. It's going to be fine. <laughs> you know, when I can, yeah. when I can, when I can illustrate something that they're going through or some angst that they've got, but then push it to the point where they see it from a, from another point of view and say, Oh, you know, yeah. you're okay. You know, you're, you're going to be fine uh, to take, you know, take some of the, some of the sting, some of the onus off of, uh, off of their judging themselves for, for, yeah. uh, for going through those things, which, you know, everybody, everybody has angst. And he, illustrates it very usefully. I do want to mention something that you talk about in regards to character and taking over that character. Uh, something that you said that really has stuck with me over the years is that, you know, for in order for a character to really live, to really be like a living, breathing character, you have to take it out of the glass case. Can you explain a little bit about what that means to you? Yeah, yeah, taking over a character. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, you you can't 
you, you can't be somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know, God knows I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and it's, and it's just, it's, it doesn't matter how, how, you know, the closer you get to being somebody else, the more you fail, the more it's, you know, you get into the uncanny valley thing and, and the more that you're uh, a creature of artifice as opposed to something that's genuine and personal. Right. And, uh, you know, and it occurred to me that, that I didn't need to be other, other creatures and other things, uh, which was, you know, that was part of my journey. And I, uh, when I was, I was doing telly once in my, my eighth year of doing telly, I remember definitely it was the eighth year. I was doing a scene with Sonia and I just kind of went crazy. I mean, I, I maybe it had too much coffee, uh, but and, and she was being fun and we just, and I just kind of went off the deep end. Yeah. And all of a sudden I felt, you know, that the, that the level of the studio raised hmm. and Sonia was excited and the scene worked. I said, Oh my God, I thought I was being crazy and inappropriate, but it just works better this way. Yeah. Uh, so that was when I kind of took telly out of the Brian Neal case and realized that, that there was untapped personal depths and that maybe this was, uh, you know, how deep can I go? You know, how deep down this rabbit hole can I go? Uh, yeah. So, you know, and, 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 you know, the same thing with, 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 with Snuffy. I mean, first of all, you're thinking of Jerry Nelson. I loved Jerry Nelson. We all yeah. loved Jerry Nelson. How could you not love that right. guy for all of his him? crazy ways? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, but, but eventually, I, you know, I had to start thinking of Snuffy and his relationship and, you know, and Bird and what Snuffy cared about and what he loved and, and of course, that's all got something to do with 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 me and my attitudes as well. Yeah. Uh, so that changed. Uh, uh, you know, I, I love I, you know the I love the analogy with a, with a with a physical puppet, which is you know people treat puppets sometimes so well. You know, and and, and our, our spectacular staff at, uh, at at Sesame, and they take really good care of our puppets because. I think they know yes. that we think of them as tools and, you know, yes. and there's nothing, nothing sadder than a really good, useful tool. That's just sitting there all oiled in its case mm-hmm. and, and, and not affecting any good whatsoever in the world, not tightening those right. wrenches or, or, or pounding those nails. Yeah. And, uh, you know, puppets got to pound those damn nails. So, uh, you know, they're emotional hammers yeah. and we are, we are, uh, you know, you know, workmen of the soul, mm-hmm. uh, that are, that are, that are wielding these, these strange, uh, you know, tools of the imagination that, you know, that dig deep in, from our psyches mm-hmm. into into the psyches of uh, you know of everyone who's watching us. Yeah, it's you know it's that profound, and it's th- you know the responsibility is massive that we're uh, we have you know that kind of agency with uh, the malleable minds of the world 
you, you, you know, you have to take that, you know, take, take that responsibility seriously, but you have to take it personally. Otherwise it just, it just doesn't matter. But you also can't let that be the thing that is, yeah. And I, I, for me, I'm like, I can't let that be my driving force really you know what I mean? Like I can't, cause if I think about that, the responsibility, the responsibility, the responsibility, instead of thinking about that character and, you know, maybe the kid or the person at home that's watching, I, I think I would, I would melt if I just thought about yeah, oh, yeah. how daunting this is. This is a big responsibility. Don't mess it up. I, I, my, my brain, my brain would, ex- my brain would explode. I only, I only think of it at, at times, at times like this I, when I'm talking to you. Right. Like this. I know. Yeah, I know. I, cause you can't. You would go crazy if that was no. all you thought about. You'd go mad. <laughs> uh, you know what? What you know on on the, on the studio floor? It's you know it's 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 your character. It's the script. It's yep. the intent. It's the people. It's your partners. It's having fun. Maybe I can make. You know. if I can make Frankie Biondo laugh. Yeah, it's a good. Then thing. it's a good thing. If Tom if Tom Guadarrama yeah. can come out of the control room <laughs> with his head down and a big smile on his face, yeah. that's you've a good done. Thing. You've done a good thing. We're gonna take a brief pause from my interview with Martin P. Robinson so we can listen to a song from Jerry Nelson. It's a demo that would end up on his record, Truro Daydreams. And on the album version of this song, Fran Brill and Kevin Clash sing as Little Red Riding Hood and The Big Bad Wolf. And in this version of it, this demo, it's all Jerry. So it's really cool. Here it is. It's called Little Red. Hey, baby, you gone my way. I'm going to Grandma's house to lay my basket down. I'll catch you later, baby. Think we'll just hang around. Off run the wolf just as fast as he can. Dates up Grandma with a mercury man. And turns down the lights just as low as he can. When in walks we meet Red. Look at those eyes and look at those ears Ain't seen better in a couple of years I just know now that it's true No, the big bad wolf, she said the big bad wolf Big bad wolf ain't dead Oh! White House on the edge of town They got two kids but Red doesn't frown The big bad wolf, she knows the big bad wolf The big bad wolf ain't dead The big bad wolf, I said the big bad wolf You know the big bad wolf ain't dead Thanks, Jerry. We're back with Martin P. Robinson. So we know that you build puppets. You've built puppets, including Audrey too from Little Shop of Horrors. Can you tell me just a little bit about the process of creating Audrey too and the different versions of the plant? How did that come about? I mean, you were a little kid at eight years old drawing designs of that plant. And then now here you are designing for the musical. Can you talk about that a little bit? Uh, yeah, the, well, the, the, the past from from my, you know, my little kid drawing that 
to you know to now. I mean, that's a that's a heck of a path, and that's that's very much what we what we've spoken about already. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still have those drawings. <laughs> I'll, I'll trot them out sometimes. Wow. I, I show them to Howard Ashman. <laughs> but the, but the, the process on the little shop of horrors was, uh, you know, I was serving Howard Ashman's vision. So, you know, when he, he and I met, I was, you know, I was brought in with every other puppeteer, uh, in, in, in New York. I, I hear that it was a, that, that they cast a wide net for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was recommended by Julie Taymor, mm. who I had worked with at the, uh, at the public theater, uh, a year or so before. And we had done a, we had done a little film together that she designed some characters and I built them. And she, so she knew I could, I could build a thing or two. You know, it's, it's, it kind of goes along with that, you know, just don't be a jerk and don't burn any bridges. Right. Look at every success that I've had. And I, I go back and said, okay, I, I got that because I did a good job for this person back then. And, you know, and, and, and so met with Howard, uh, and he and I, he and I hit it off. Uh, we just kind of talked the same language and had us had had a similar, uh, relationship with Little Shop of Horrors, the original <laughs> Corman movie when we were, when we were younger. So the, the process on Little Shop of Horrors was, was tuning into Howard and, figuring out what he needed for that. Uh, when we first time we met and I brought in uh, some masks and some puppets that I had made and uh, I had some pretty cool, intricate little characters that I would take on auditions, go sees for, uh, for puppet building that were pretty cool. Uh, but I solved some of his dramatic problems that first day. Uh, he said, well, I want to do this, this, and this. Mm. And I said, well, try it this way. And you'll, you can get all that without all that trouble. And it was like, Eureka. Uh, it was uh, the, the, the fake arm, the fake arm thing. Yeah. He, he, he had never heard of that before. Oh, so wow. that was news to him. Ah, uh, that's great. You can always learn something new. Right. And, and when I trotted that out and said, oh, no, just do the fake arm. We'll do, you know, do uh, like a little slightly ventriloquist act oh, bit so here. Seymour's carrying it. You get all everything you want for this scene without putting three puppeteers in three pieces of furniture that he sets it on each time. That was the plan. And so when he heard that, dramatically, that opened up uh, all kinds of possibilities for him. And uh, he offered me the job. I don't know if it was was that day or, or a day afterwards. Anyway, uh, 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 Alan Menken was working on Sesame Street. He had written a song for the Count. Oh, really? Uh, so Alan Menken was on set on Sesame one day, uh, my first season, uh-huh. and came. You know, f- knew that I had met with Howard, and evidently Howard had said some nice things and had offered me the job. And I said I'd think about it mm-hmm. because I had. Uh, it's kind of like off topic, but I had, I had, I had made a promise to myself that I had to get paid for what I do. Right. Uh, was, I, I, I had gone broke mm. working for uh, actually the, the National Theater of the Deaf, some of the most creative work I have ever done. Mm-hmm. Just fascinating stuff. Uh, and I went broke. Oh, oh man. <laughs> working for free yeah. uh, on, on this incredibly creative stuff. So I had made myself a promise I had to get paid for what I do. Uh, didn't have to be much, 
God knows, you know, I, I worked for 75 right. bucks a week on that, uh, for working for Nicola Marionettes. Uh, so this, so Little Shop of Horrors actually broke that rule because it was really kind of a non-paid gig. They would pay for my materials for the, for building the plant, but, but there was really no money involved and a lot of time. So I, so I didn't answer Howard right away. I didn't say yes right away. <laughs> right. <laughs> because of my, yes. because of my rule. Yeah. You, you had made uh, a rule. And, uh, I was strongly considering that rule. Uh, so when, when Alan came to me on the set of, of Sesame Street and, uh, and asked if I, if I was going to do it or not. And, and I said, yeah, you know, I am. So I told Alan wow. that I would, was going to do it. Uh, and the reason I broke the rule is because I had made the first money, serious money I'd ever made in my life doing yeah. the first season of Sesame Street. Yeah. And I was feeling flush. Right. <laughs> and you kind of felt you <laughs> had nothing, the room to be able to do this. Yeah. The ability. There's nothing like, nothing like not having money. Yes. Uh, ever. Uh, and then all of a sudden making, making TV money for the first time. So, yeah. So I, uh, I, I, I bankrolled uh, the, the the materials and you know and, and uh, for little shop and once I uh, agreed to do it, I actually went up went up to SUNY Purchase where my girlfriend Katie, uh, my dear dear first girlfriend, uh, was uh, going to school, and I sat and I had the entire drafting department to myself. It was empty. Mm. And I sat there and I drew for three four days. And uh, read the script and drew and just just spitballed and all the original drawings uh, for Little Shop came came from 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 that point from being up there. Uh, wow! Yeah, and then I uh, uh, finessed them a little bit, did some, some did some colors, some watercolors of them, and uh, presented them to Howard. Got the go ahead, and uh, and then started uh, started in on building. And I knew that I had to perform them. So I was trying to make them light and workable and right. uh, be all the, all the, all the good acting characters that they needed to be. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I just love, one of my favorite things about Little Shop of Horrors is the fact that the plant is, you know, is not a prop. It's, it is a living, breathing member of the cast oh, yeah. with all the rights and responsibilities. Yes. It is 100% a character in the show. So you you worked on on Little Shop, and then uh, you did the show, and you're doing Sesame Street at the same time. I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah, that was Oof. that was that was a rough that was a rough season. Yeah, uh, where I was doing Sesame all day long, and then doing Little Shop of Horrors all night long, and you know, and then I'd have dinner at about you know after the show. Mm. Uh, came down at about 11, 12 o'clock and maybe get to bed about one o'clock and then up again. Yeah. And, and I was just starting my relationship with, uh, with Ellen Green yeah. back then. Yeah. Uh, and you know, she took some energy as right. well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was, you know, it was a start of a whole new yeah. relationship, a love affair. I just, I was just mad for her and you know, and all the, all the, Everything that was happening on, on Sesame Street, it was we were kind of hitting our stride. It was my second season, and I had, I guess, a sense of confidence then. But every time I sat down, I fell asleep. Oh gosh, <laughs> you were working yourself to the bone. <laughs> yeah, I was, but but I was, but I but I was like in my, in my late twenties. 
So right. Well, I, I want to jump to now when you're not in your late twenties, but something more recent. You recently conceived, wrote, produced, directed, and designed puppets for a show called All Hallows Eve that had a, a run off Broadway at the Connolly Theater in New York City. But where in general did that seed of All Hallows Eve come from? And maybe just talk about for those who didn't get to come down and see the show, uh, like the characters and what like the synopsis of what that show is to you. All Hallows Eve started at the at the O'Neill. Uh, it was uh, it was a challenge by uh, Pam Arciero, uh, who uh, I was mm-hmm. I had a, an opportunity to do a guest artist piece. So I had had this idea, this germ of an idea that I'd been kicking around. So I wrote a scene from it and uh, it had an outline for the what the rest of the play was, the rest of the musical was. I wrote the scene, built the stuff, took it up there, put uh, this 20-minute scene on its feet with uh, with the, the people up at the O'Neill. I mean, it's, it's kind of a teaching thing I and mean, it was the way the process works is is you know it's it's you know i've got i've got this idea i've got this script i got the puppets uh i, I want to direct it and i bring all of that to it and then the students who either specifically want to work with me or just get thrown into, the, into my <laughs> into my into my project uh become part of it and they they add in they learn my process uh, it's a, it's a, it's a give and take, uh, hopefully beneficial for everyone. It, it worked out well. Uh, I, I liked the way it was going. Uh, reaction was good. I worked it into a, uh, a residency. I got a, I got a, a two week residency at the O'Neill. Uh, so I finished the play, right. built the whole thing, cast it, uh, took my cast and, uh, crew up there. Uh, there were 15 of us that were just living up there in the middle of the winter. And we uh, we got the whole thing on its feet in two weeks, hmm. and really wow. really liked what was going on up there, you know. And that was Haley Jenkins and Tyler Bunch <laughs> and Jen right. Barnhart, for God's sakes, Paul McGinnis, um, Spencer Lott, um, Austin Costello, Aubrey Aubrey Kleindienst, uh, you know, just wonderful wonderful performers. And after after that, I uh, I decided okay, let's uh, let's keep going with this. Uh, so I rewrote it, rewrote, rewrote I, you know that's I kind of learned how to write. My dear wife was a writer. This 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 yes. do it again, do it again. <laughs> writing is that's rewriting. Right. Writing is I, rewriting. I, I, there, there are just a thousand versions of that thing. Yeah, and post-it notes all over the place. And I would wake up in the middle of the night and I'd write down a line. <laughs> It was one of those things where if, if 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 I didn't work it, you know, again, you know, kind of talking about path and how you follow a path. Yeah. And uh, is is if I wasn't working on that, it would hurt. Mm-hmm. It hurt me. It was painful not to work on that. So I mm. I I you know I I I wanted to not have the pain uh, <laughs> and, and yeah. to have that 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 kind of uh, that kind of creative creative. Uh, creative release that I, that was, it was just required. Yeah. It's just no other, another way to think about it. So I just, the thing that you have to do, I had to do it. Uh, Otherwise my, I, I would have been impossible for me to move on with my life. Had I not, you know, if I had not done that, I 
I don't know if I'd be alive today. I don't, I don't know if I don't know if I would have allowed myself to continue wow. drawing breath, uh, having not having followed that path to where it needed mm. to go. So I uh, did everything that I needed to do. Uh, we, uh, we booked booked a theater, committed a lot of our uh, personal resources to it, and then and then uh, the helpsters came up. And I auditioned for the Helpsters, and I got yeah. Helpsters. And as soon as I booked Helpsters, I knew I was in trouble because uh, that was a seven-month commitment. Right. And, and I was counting on that entire seven months to uh, as, as pre-production for All Hallows' Eve. So I went into full-speed oh, production from that fall yeah. to the time that uh, Helpsters started in March. And then mm-hmm. we, uh, we, f- we wrapped Helpsters on a, on a Friday. And I went into rehearsals uh, for All Hallows' Eve the following Monday. Something about that show that I noticed, it kind of starts as this very intimate little show. And then it gets a little bit bigger. I mean, and then it gets massive. And it's not even just not uh, just what you're seeing uh, in, the, in the incarnation that I saw. Because it does start in a very small space. And then it gets in a little bit bigger space. And then it gets in a very large space. Yeah. But even the puppets start small. Yeah. And they get a little bigger, and yeah. then they get very big. Yeah, it's, it's and, and it starts. You know, it's it's a massive total job. Big, uh, <laughs> you know the the you know, I I it's the the beginning is you think oh my god this is going to be the worst evening of theater ever. That's what I wanted people to think. <laughs> is, is this is this is ah. this is going to be a bucolic piece of crap? But it's, uh-huh. but it's just a setup. It's just a total setup. Uh, and and I yeah. just God, I love the way yeah. Marka, Marka Lee, uh, the way Tyler's uh, Tyler's wife mm-hmm. played played that part, just sweet but bucolic, yeah. and every everything about theater you hate, but, yes. she, but she did it so and, well, and uh, you know, and then and then and then it, you you go as you go along, you realize, wait a minute, my my you know my pre- pre- preconception is is wrong, mm-hmm. and. And it's yeah. really wrong. And it's, you know, by the time you get into the big room and things go south, it's, you know, I, I want them to think, where the heck, where the heck am I? What, what happened here? Yeah. What? How'd we get here? Yeah. What happened? Yeah. Yeah. It is extremely visual, of course. It's got some great music. It's, it is a feast <laughs> for the senses in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah. Paul, Paul Rudolph, uh, I approached him early on, and you know, he kind of put his head down. And, ah, that sounds interesting. Let's uh, let's talk about that. <laughs> and uh, and you know, and kind of, he had free reign, and he would he would riff and and come up with stuff, and I would listen to his. Mm. And it was, and then we he came up here for a long weekend, two three days. We just stayed up here, and we pulled out a keyboard, and we played with ideas. And how about a bossa nova? I love the bossa nova. <laughs> I said, "What the hell is a bossa yeah. nova?" I said, and, and I said, "Great, okay, that's that would work perfectly, like here, uh, when again, yeah. when you, when you we're gonna sing a bossa nova, but the lyrics are gonna be so horrible, so yeah. Know, what's what are the worst Just, lyrics that I can come up with with this yeah. beautiful little easygoing bossa nova song for to you know to get that that." sick, sick juxtaposition between the two that makes yeah. you almost sick to your stomach. So, so, that, so, that you're, so that you're sitting there laughing and drawn in 
by horror, this, this horrible mm-hmm. thing that's happening uh, to, these, yeah. to, these, to these two kids. You said early on that Halloween was your favorite time of year. You must have drawn on that as inspiration in some way. As, as I said in the, in the liner notes uh, in the program, this is, this is just me coming full circle. This is all this is, yeah. is me paying homage to my roots and, you know, using the, you know, the, uh, you know, using all that, all that charge, all that, uh, mm. you know, all those, all those things that were important to me, uh, putting to use in a, uh, in a, I don't know, in a, call it in an adult way, in a, in a, in a, mm-hmm. in a meaningful way, in a way that, uh, you know, that asks some serious questions, you know, the serious question yeah. of, of all hell is Eve is what do you do when somebody has total control over your life and death and you, you live and die at somebody else's whim? What do you do? Mm, right. Uh, and you know, and hopefully, you know, we will not be put in that position, but still, yeah. it's it's a it's a position where your metal is tested, where you find out yes. who you are, you find out what you're made of. You kind of like you that very first day on Sesame Street, <laughs> when you were th- challenged to live or die. Yeah, <laughs> right. When, when I was a, when I was a kid, there, there's a there's an it's important thing. When I was when I was when I was six years old, yeah. uh, my dad was was being harsh with me in some way and uh and i screamed bloody murder at him uh, i don't care if you kill me i'm not gonna do what mm-hmm. you ask and you know and i laid down the line and you know and so and that was that was my final uh, that was my toe my, my line on the stand mm-hmm. go ahead kill me that's 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 the extent of my my no uh to you uh and i felt that he mm-hmm. had respect for me after that uh that that my brothers never got and in a way uh all hallows eve is just is just you know six-year-old marty making a line in the sand saying all right yeah you can kill me but uh you know starting there is very freeing for people that didn't get to see all hallows eve is there there any plans for the future of it do you think they'll that you'll do anything more with it I would love to. Right now, there's, mm. there's, I have no, no plans. It was an expensive proposition on, uh, on, right. on my part. Uh, my dear wife yeah. just was with me every step of the way. She, uh, you know, was yeah. a producer on it. You know, we do, we did a whole, you know, we did a, a crowdsourcing and we did a fundraiser and things, things like that, which was about one twentieth. <laughs> Yeah, they can be oh. expensive to do those things that you're you have to do. Well, you got to do it, and you know, and I and I and we wanted to pay our actors, and we wanted to pay them yes. a, a, a better a better rate than was required by the by the showcase code. You know, I wanted to pay everybody, hmm. um, and we did. So it was yeah. it was expensive. Uh, it was all consuming. Uh, you know, and I went from from helpsters to that. Had a, had a week or so off before we started Elmo's talk show, and then it was Christmas, mm-hmm. and then we started uh, season fifty-one, and then COVID nineteen. And there was a time when I was, I, the way I think of it, I was marching through the gulags in the in the workshop, where mm-hmm. I was, I had, I had to produce, and yeah. I would work 
late into the night, my dear wife would come down and say, you know, have you eaten today? Oh, uh, or, or, and bring me sandwiches because I was on this, you know, I was on this deadline because I essentially built, built that show myself. Well, it's, it's an amazing achievement. It really is, Marty. Thank and you. I and I I hope you feel good about I feel what it was. Great I, about it. I feel as well. You should so great about that show. All right, Marty. So I'm gonna uh, we're almost finished, but I do want to ask you some rapid fire questions. All right. This will be easy for you. Here we go. Ready? <laughs> What's the hardest part about being a puppeteer? The hardest part is the uh, is maintaining the emotional level. Uh, it's also the funnest part. Uh, it's the okay. part I enjoy most. Is 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 the uh, is checking that level, sticking with it, and then and then making it making it even more more investment. It's mm. just absolute investment of every fiber of your being. What is your biggest strength as a performer? I don't worry about how I look. I don't worry about what people think about me anymore. I will. I don't, I don't care. If I look insane, uh, <laughs> I, I like the reaction when people, uh, act, uh, treat me like I, like I'm insane. Um, and, yeah. and that's, uh, to me, that's just commitment. What, what is your biggest weakness as a performer? Ooh, I, it's, it's kind of, uh, uh, sometimes I hand in hand with, with, with what I just said, uh, sometimes I get too excited. And sometimes mm -hmm. I get so excited, uh, and I do. I do hate this about myself. I feel like I lose track of uh, of my partner sometimes. And sometimes I look back and I think, "Oh my God, I should have been. Mm -hmm. I should have been more generous. Uh, I should. The, it wasn't my turn, mm. and I was, and I went too far. And 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 sometimes <laughs> I'm afraid that I uh, can be a uh, a bully with the. Uh -huh animated movement the uh the, mm. the the loudness the emotional <laughs> crazy investment I, I i do need to work on that plus i got into a really bad habit with telly where telly has so <laughs> fidget he fidgets so much and he has uh yeah he, he has he uh, uh stutters like i do uh that i i got sloppy with my lip sync because he's always throwing mm. little little lip things in there and I saw it on Mr. Yeah. Prim, and I carried it over into Mr. Prim. And I, when I was doing uh, voiceovers for that stuff, I said, "My puppetry has gotten sloppy," and and Mr. Prim <sighs> needs to be exactly correct. Uh, uh, so I'm gonna, <sighs> I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna re reinvestigate all that stuff and really up up my uh up my technical game and i realize I'm, I'm giving a long answer these are not rapid fire are they that's okay no I'm, that's why i'm not i'm not going to respond i'm just going to try to go with the next question right away okay, you know well, it, i love the answers so well, what is your favorite what's one of your favorite things about being a sesame street muppet performer uh it's it's the crew it's 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 the other mm -hmm. it's the other puppeteers uh yeah. i love hanging out with uh <laughs> with this crew it's what, uh, just it's just it's it's the best thing. And, you know, and, and then of course to, uh, you know, when you, when you get, when you get on the set and everyone's there, the, the people that you respect and love most in the world. And then, uh, and you, and everything's in your head and you've done all your homework. And then the guy says five, four, three, <laughs> and, and, you know, and it's 
all on all on us and it's yeah. all in our laps and it's just yeah. this massive unfathomable responsibility that you can't think about but they you know you hit you hit the start and it's just the greatest yeah. freaking right. <laughs> buzz in the world man yeah. it is the best buzz so now if you weren't a puppeteer what would be your career do you think uh, I would, I always kind of wanted to design toys. Uh, uh, Andy and I are working on a, on a, on a character. I, I, I like illustrating. Uh, this is this, this little character. I don't know if I've showed you the little Ruba character that we, that we do. Uh, this mm-hmm. guy, this is the guy who lives in a book. I would love to follow that up someday. Uh, mm-hmm. when I was a kid, I wanted to be an archeologist. I still kind of really like that, but I, I, I kind of always wanted to design toys too. Yeah. Okay, so Jerry Nelson once said to me, Sesame Street's great, but I always have something that is your own that you create. Now, Marty, my next question was it what is that for you? But I mean, I think I know. You know, you have those things that you create. You are a creator. You are a designer. You are somebody who's uh vibrantly creating, always creating. But is is there something out there for you that you haven't done that you want to create still? Uh, I'm having a really good time gardening. I just love kind of sculpting the land. I'm looking out mm. in an area that I've been working on since I've since we've all been here. Uh, and you know, being homebound during this time, this is not a hardship for me. I realized sometime in the last right. year that I used to I used to beat myself up uh, b- because I not very gregarious. I'm not very social. Uh, you know, I, I, people would invite me to parties and I beat myself. Oh, I should go to this party. I realized I'm not that social. You know, I, this is going to sound weird, but I don't like people that much. I like certain people mm-hmm. that much, but I don't like public that much. Yeah. I'm very happy here at home with my dear, mm-hmm. dear wife and my wonderful children and my pets. So I, I, I uh, Done a lot of digging, a lot of clearing, and uh, I planted seven azaleas and a bunch of uh, rhododendrons. And I'm moving rocks, and I've got a, a <laughs> pond out back here that I got a new pump for that I uh, that I have fish and frogs in. And I'm clearing out that. I took I took I took probably a hundred uh, burning bushes out of the. Uh, out of this area down here that I'm, that I'm kind of turning into a place that would be like a little meditation walk. And I'm, I'm carving some benches with a chainsaw. And, uh, wow. So I love doing that. And you're creating. Uh, and I, and I'm creating when the next, when the next project comes along, when the next thing happens that I, that I need to do that, that will hurt if I don't do it, that will make itself yeah. known to me. And and I and I trust myself that I'm right. smart enough to recognize that when I when I either come up with it when it presents itself to me when you know when mm-hmm. when I when I cross paths with that next thing you're open and ready yeah but but I'm not I'm not I'm not dying for it and I'm not uh, you know I'm not I'm not marking time uh, I'm, uh, I'm yeah. having a, I'm having a good time this lifetime. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. I love talking with you, and I could continue to talk with you. But I mean, we've gone for. A long time. Yeah. I, but I want to, but thank you so much for talking with me. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Ah, well, that was Martin P. Robinson, and this was Below the Frame. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, why don't you? Uh, our show today was produced by me with editing assistance from Jared Fairclough. 
Our theme song was written by Stephanie DeBruzzo and performed by the Mighty Weaklings. Our podcast artwork was created by Dave Holtine at DaveHoltineDesign.com. A special thanks goes out to Jan Nelson for giving me Jerry's stories and to John Kennedy for reading one of those stories today. Thank you, Martin B. Robinson, for being a part of this episode. And thanks to you, the fans, for listening. I'm Matt Vogel, and we will see you next time when we go below the frame. Bye-bye. Go, go, go.